Let's get her going on another edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network. We've got WASD numbers, we've got sports, we've got volleyball going on, state volleyball getting away, all this and more. And not only that, we've got the whole family. We just got a family picture done at the, uh, at the <laughs> National Association of uh, Farm Broadcasting. And Susan Littlefield is there. You organized this whole thing. Is that how it works, Susan? I did. You know, when you have every one of your farm broadcast team together in the same place at the same time, minus Bruce and Dewey, so I said we'll Photoshop them in, <laughs> uh, you, you get a family photo. Yeah, and it was, it was like your typical family photo, you know, don't touch me, you know, don't look at me right. Look at your watch. <laughs> oh, no, it wasn't that bad. It was our professional photo so we can showcase um, the updates that we have to the farm team. So oh, glad we nice. got it done. and. I tell you, the crew is working hard and wearing the soles off their shoes, getting a bunch of interviews done today during Trade Talk. Hey, coming up at 1219, Dean Hefta is going to be on with Water Street Solutions. Then at 1245, I will admit this publicly, winter weather awareness is like one of the coolest things for me next to thunderstorms. Why is that? I just love winter storms. Uh Maybe it's the Minnesotan in me, but I just love it. Okay, well, we've got Jason shaking his head back and forth here. I think you're going to have to convince him. I'll work on it, Jason. I'll work on it for you. Good luck. Dave's going to bring folks in at 1245 to talk more about today being Winter Weather Awareness Day. And then at 117, Shaley Peters is going to have David Widmar with Purdue Ag Economy Barometer. Those results were released yesterday, so she'll get into the dirt of that. All right. Well, we'll look forward to all that. Uh, I know that you every just about every corner you look at in Kansas City has got someone you want to talk to and bring to us as an interview. So you get back to work and we'll listen. I will definitely. I'm headed off to work. You guys have a great rest of the day. Thanks very much, Susan, from the National Association of Farm Broadcasting Convention going on in Kansas City. Not that there isn't nothing going on in sports. We've got all kinds of stuff. There certainly is. State High School Volleyball Tournament starts in about two hours in Lincoln. We'll let you know who will be playing early on. Also, we'll talk about the Husker Volleyball team. They rolled past Maryland last night. Huskers playing well. They've won eight straight. They won that in a sweep last night. So they continue to stay right up there, the thick of things in the uh, Big Ten rankings and Big Ten standings. Just five regular season games are left for the Lady Huskers. Also, we'll talk a little bit of NFL. There's some guys being activated. Broncos trying to turn things around this week at home against New England. I wouldn't bet on that. But <laughs> I'm not against New England. No. It's the NFL. Yeah, Any given Sunday. Yeah. Anything can happen, unless you're struggling and you're playing Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. Very good. All right, well, we will be listening for all that information, especially with interest about all the volleyball that's going on around the state. Now let's check in for business with Bob Brogan. Stocks are sinking today with technology and industrial companies taking the sharpest losses. Mixed news on jobless claims. Tillerson says there's more work to do on trade with China. And... uh, Also, of course, there's continued talk about that tax overhaul, uh, the Senate version of that, and uh, so there's action in that area. Uh, Some unfortunate news today about a central Nebraska business that will be closing in about a year from now. Those stories and more coming up. All right. Water Street Solutions, Mike Moritz on winter weather awareness, the latest economic numbers, commentary on WASDE, all coming up on today's Midday. 
Well, today is Winter Weather Awareness Day, and I am quite aware of it, and I think many people are, because we're not pushing those temperatures up beyond what might feel like winter anyway, Paul Perkins. No, exactly. Right now, a lot of Nebraska is still below freezing or right at freezing for our temperatures currently across the area. So. Ag weather is brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. And here's Paul. We do have those low 30s right now across the Panhandle and the southern third of Nebraska, basically I-80 and points to the south. Then we do have some mid to upper 30s on into northern Kansas, some low four, low and mid 40s into eastern Kansas, but north central and northeast Nebraska definitely on the chilly side with temperatures into the mid to upper 20s. Still 26 at Broken Bow and 29 at Grand Island, and as chilly as. 23 right now in the Ainsworth area. And here it is, 11.30 in the morning. Some northeast winds off high pressure over North Dakota and Minnesota, keeping our temperatures on the very much cooler side for today as opposed to yesterday. As that area of high pressure starts moving towards the Great Lakes tonight, winds will become more easterly. That will result in increasing cloud cover. Could see some patchy freezing drizzle late tonight into tomorrow morning over southwest Nebraska and northern Kansas. Maybe some travel problems, so do take note of that and be prepared. The easterly flow tomorrow going to keep our temperatures on the cool side with the mix of sun and clouds, but some warmer air does start to arrive for Saturday. It looks like it's going to stick around for actually quite a while as opposed to one day of niceness and then like two to three days of cold temperatures. The skies on Saturday expected to clear from west to east during the afternoon thanks to the passage of the front. That front could cause some drizzle to develop in southeastern Nebraska, north central and eastern Kansas, but with temperatures staying above freezing, that won't be a problem on Saturday. Winds will turn from the south to the north behind that front, but it's a front with Pacific air and not expecting the temperatures to take much of a hit as we head into Sunday. And then we see a sustained warming trend getting underway for next week. Late Tuesday, we could see a little precipitation with the passage of a front. The likelihood is high. Nebraska and Kansas will see warmer than normal temperatures Tuesday through November 22nd. The precipitation forecast for Nebraska and Kansas also uneventful, a forecast of below normal precipitation for Tuesday through the 22nd. So if you don't have the harvest out yet, that should offer a good window of opportunity. In the latest drought monitor, 91% of Nebraska drought-free. It's abnormally dry to a moderate drought in northern Cherry County and the southern Panhandle. Kansas, nearly 86% drought-free. Abnormally dry conditions found from Osborne to Coldwater in the central, also around Salina and Newton, Kansas, and from Marysville to Seneca towards the northeast. The weather factors affecting market decisions include precipitation interrupting harvest in the eastern Midwest and a more variable rain pattern in Brazil. Over the next few days, warmth will build east in advance of some persistent storminess that continues to occur in the northwestern U.S. Late in the week, above normal temperatures expected to return to much of the central and southern plains. A strong surge of cold air going to affect the Midwest and northeast U.S. the next few days. So that main brunt of cold air that you may have been hearing about, the main brunt of it well off towards our northeast. We're just kind of getting a small taste of it. That cold air will be followed by a gradual warming trend. Wet and cold conditions across the north and east Midwest going to keep their corn harvest progress slow through the weekend. Corn harvest right now at least 25 percentage points behind the average in Wisconsin and Minnesota. Dry and chilly conditions in the Southern Plains in the meantime have not been stressful for the winter wheat due to 
favorable soil conditions, but they are watching for a possible dry trend. The rainfall pattern in central Brazil has been more variable than expected, and so the benefit from some recent rains may be limited. South central and southern Brazil crop areas, though, have favorable soil moisture for a good start to their soybeans. Central Argentina going to be drier through the weekend to allow a better opportunity for field work and planting. In the longer term, though, in Argentina, the drier trend may be a sign of that La Nina being established. Ag weather is brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. And I, I know that occasionally you can hear the sound of the workers outside <laughs> yeah. the studio door here. And they, they are putting in uh, just yeoman's work here, racing the clock and Mother Nature, trying to get us a heating <laughs> system here in the studio. Yeah, exactly. Get really cool. Yeah, of course, uh, if anything, we need air conditioning in our studio in because yeah. all the equipment adds to the heat. Because even yeah. in the coldest of winter, we have the air conditioner on in here, believe it or not. Now, these guys have been working day and night and just about every it. time. Yeah, it's a big, big job. So <laughs> thanks, guys. Appreciate it. And thanks for they they try the very best they can to stop working when the microphones go on. And they work know. around us. They're yep. very good at it. Too. Yep. yep. So thank you very much, and we will appreciate it when we're not freezing <laughs> or, or, or melting, either one. Uh, and when you need weather anytime. You can go to krvn.com. Wazdi out today. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network with a midday check of your ag news and seeing some surprises. And reporting here from Kansas City, I'm down here at the National Association of Farm Broadcasters trade talk going on. Had a chance here to catch Mike Zuzalo. Of course, Mike, we visited with you earlier. Dewey did, and I've got you here in person even better. So give us a quick look at what we saw with that Wazi report out earlier today. And there's no question we fed the bear, Shaley, and that's what we needed to do because the trade was expecting a bigger corn number in terms of yield. They weren't certain and sure about the demand side of the equation. We did get bigger demand, and that is kind of a saving grace, especially when you drill down into some of the stock to use ratios both here in the United States and globally but we still have to trade this report there's no way around it and we didn't get the support from the soybeans that we really were required to get if you ask me because the beans have been rallying this report gives them an excuse to go ahead and liquidate some longs probably so wheat was a good report from a standpoint of both US and world stocks dropping down again for the first time together I think in several months so that was a very welcome piece of news to see but we still have to trade these row crop numbers and probably going to take a few days to do that. And another quick look at those numbers. Corn production for 2718 was raised to 14.58 billion. Domestic corn ending stocks for 2017-18 were pegged at 2.49 billion bushels. Soybean production for 2017-18 was lowered to 4.42 billion bushels. And USDA pegged soybean acreage for 2017-18 at 89.5 million acres. If realized, it would be a record high for soybean acreage. USDA pegged the average corn yield for the 2017-18 season at 175.4 bushels per acre, with average soybean yield projected to reach 49.5 bushels per acre. In other ag news today, House Agriculture Committee Chairman Michael Conway made the following remarks in response to the Trump administration's decision to delay the effective date of the controversial and overreaching final rule on organic livestock and poultry practices that was pushed through in the final hours of the Obama administration. The organic livestock rule goes far beyond the scope of the National Organic Program, threatening animal health and food safety and jeopardizing the livelihoods of numerous farmers and ranchers. While I believe withdrawing this 
this costly and unworkable regulation is the best way to provide certainty to livestock and poultry producers across the nation. I do appreciate that Secretary Purdue and his team are taking extra time to evaluate the full implications of the rule. I am hopeful the Trump administration's commitment to regulatory reform will result in the continued rollback of burdensome regulations like this one. The organic livestock rule initially proposed in April of 2016 vastly expands the list of required animal welfare practices for organic livestock production. Chief among the arbitrarily prescriptive requirements are mandates on outdoor access for poultry that are opposed by numerous industry experts due to the increased risk of diseases for the animals and foodborne illnesses for consumers. And finally, Arkansas State Plant Board members voted yesterday during a public hearing and board meeting to approve regulatory changes for the application of products labeled for agricultural use that contain dicamba. In a vote of 10 to 3, with one member recusing, the board voted to prohibit the use of dicamba in Arkansas between April 16th and October 31st. The regulations include exemptions for the use of dicamba in pastures, rangeland, turf, ornamental direct injection for forestry and home use. The regulations change is now subject to final approval by the executive subcommittee of the Arkansas Legislative Council, according to Terry Walker, Arkansas State Plant Board Director. That's a quick look at your midday ag news. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson back on the Rural Radio Network. Well, corn and soybeans moved over to the red after USDA's estimates of both crops being larger than analysts had anticipated. Let's visit with Dean Hefta of Water Street Solutions and get your assessment of this report and uh, what we might see now down the road. Dean? Yeah, so we've got the much-anticipated report from USDA. Biggest surprise really was in the corn side. They jumped the yield in November, their November estimate, up by 3.6 bushels compared to October. And really only two uh, states of note uh, that really matter on a production standpoint. They went down in yield. It was Nebraska and Michigan that went incrementally lower. A lot of uh, states in the Corn Belt went, um, you know, six, eight bushels higher. And so pushed us up to a record large per acre yield, uh, but it still puts us at 4% below last year's production because the acres are down. They did increase uh, feed usage and export demand based on, uh, you know, the more competitive position that we're in. However, it it wasn't enough to offset that increased production. So you've got this bearish, you know, cloud, another bearish cloud bringing into this corn market. Interesting on the soybean side, though, they didn't move the yield. And so there wasn't really much for a surprise there other than the market was hoping for uh, incremental. um, But on the global market, you do have a bump in the Brazilian um, production, and so global ending stocks increased in soybeans and so i think that's part of what's bringing some pressure into the soybean market because domestically there isn't really it's not a bearish report for soybeans but globally it's just a reminder that we've got a lot of soybeans in the world yes you mentioned we've had plenty of soybeans corn and wheat at the same time there's probably one little unknown and that's uh, some of the states that are behind in corn harvest will they get all harvested, I guess, right? Yeah, certainly the harvest pace. This has been a slow pace year, and that um, I'd say got reflected in waiting until November for this big of a jump because you just didn't have the data uh, that you typically would for the October report. And uh, so that's that's that. And and now it's a known, right? So 
uh, traders don't trade necessarily known fundamentals. They trade expected fundamentals. And so we know we've got a, bit, a lot of supply out here. You already have the funds that are very short this market. And even with these numbers, it's, um, you know, still in debate if we start now a new leg lower since you're, you know, getting corn stocked away uh, at the last leg of harvest here. Funds are already very large shorts. And so we're dancing around these October lows here uh, within a, a half a cent or so of what we scored back on October 12th. Energy market is higher. So we've got the macro factors in the commodity indexes that are, that are helpful, and you've got the stock market having a, a tough day. So if you start seeing some money flow and some interest in wanting to be in commodities, maybe that's the things that we can look for. But right now the fundamentals are tough. And the dollar index was lower, too. That would have been a help. But right now we need some more exports, don't we? That's exactly right. Thanks, Dean. For more information, go to waterstreet.org, or you can call Water Street Solutions. Again, call them at uh, 866-249-2528. And as we speak, the corn market's 5 to 5 and a quarter lower, soybeans 10 to 11 lower, and the wheat is fractionally mixed, both Chicago and Kansas City winter wheat futures. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. It's midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check sports with Jason Jorgenden. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, the NSAA State High School Volleyball Tournament starts in just a little bit in Lincoln. In Class A at one thirty. Pius takes on Papillion La Vista South in C1. Minden takes on top-seeded Wahoo in C2. It's Stanton against Bergen, and in D2, Elwood faces off against Tyannis. The sixth-ranked Nebraska volleyball team won its eighth straight match last night with a sweep of Maryland. Now the Huskers are now 21 and four on the year, and an impressive 14 and one in Big Ten action. They served a season-high 10 aces to knock out the Terrapins. Well, the Nebraska six-man football championship will be decided in Kearney at UNK. Riverside is back to defend its title as they take on Harvard. That one is scheduled to kick off at seven at Cope Stadium. Well, since 2011, the Kansas State football team's record is a combined 20-8 and after the month of October. The Wildcats will need those winning ways to continue as they host 23rd-ranked West Virginia this Saturday, then travel to 12th-ranked Oklahoma State the next week before ending the season at home against Iowa State. Head coach Bill Snyder offered his thoughts on his team's success later on in the year. You know, I'd like to think that we are a, a well-conditioned football team. I think maybe, you know, sometimes it's because you have good fortune to stay healthy. This year the Wildcats are five and four need one more victory over the next three games to become bowl eligible. Kickoff time for the Wildcats and Mountaineers is set for this Saturday at two thirty in Manhattan. In the NFL, the four and four Arizona Cardinals host five and three Seattle tonight. It's the latest matchup between NFC West foes where home field doesn't mean much. The Cardinals have won three of their past four trips to Seattle, but the Seahawks have dominated in Arizona. The Broncos and Patriots meet again this weekend, and instead of jockeying for a top seed in the AFC playoffs this time around, the Broncos are just out trying to salvage their season after a four-week losing streak. The Patriots, on the other hand, are seeking their 12th consecutive road win, and Tom Brady looks for just his fourth win in 11 trips in Denver. The Vikings have taken Teddy Bridgewater off the physically unable to perform list and placed fellow quarterback Sam Bradford on the injured reserve amid continued trouble with his troublesome left knee. Bridgewater was added to the active roster today for the first time since he badly injured his left knee during practice more than 14 months ago. 
And Royals third baseman Mike Moustakas has been tabbed as the American League Comeback Player of the Year during the Players' Choice Awards show on the MLB Network. This marks his second award for Moustakas. Moustakas enjoyed a career year after being limited to 26 games in 2016 due to an injury. This past summer, he slugged a career-best 38 home runs to set the franchise's single-season record. His home run total also tied for fifth-best in the American League and eighth in the majors. He is a free agent this offseason. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Partly cloudy skies in the forecast tonight with some patchy light freezing drizzle this evening in central and western areas. I'm Dave Schroeder. An Ohio-based company says it's closing a plant that employs around 140 people in west-central Nebraska and moving its production elsewhere in the state. Cleveland-based Parker Hannafin announced that its Baldwin Filtration Products plant in Gothenburg will be closed by the end of October next year. Production will be transferred to the company's plant in Kearney. Gothenburg City Administrator Bruce Clymer says he, along with other community members, were shocked upon hearing of the news of the Baldwin Filters plant. Our first thought is with those families that um, are going to be uprooted or possibly, I mean, we're hoping that maybe some of them will stay in the community and either drive to Kearney or, or find other employment in the community. Yeah, it, it, it's a huge loss for, for our community. Parker says its acquisition of Baldwin's parent company, Clark Corps, created excess and redundant manufacturing capacity. Parker also says the Baldwin plant workers will receive severance, reemployment opportunities, and outplacement support. Parker spokesman Aidan Gromley says the closure won't affect the Parker Sealing Products plant in Gothenburg. Bob Evnen, a GOP candidate for Nebraska's Secretary of State, is a former State Board of Education member and Lincoln attorney. Security of elections is a big priority, and he supports a system of voter ID. Evnen was asked whether that would make the process cumbersome and more time-consuming. I don't think it would slow it down. Uh, Voter ID is just a matter of common sense in this day and age, uh, as far as I'm concerned. I think that we can have a voter ID requirement without disenfranchising. Uh, properly registered voters. Uh, You can't check into a hotel without showing uh, uh, a picture ID. There are, uh, the requirement of picture IDs is uh, very widespread in our world, uh, and it's not a requirement that's going to be particularly burdensome, I believe. The Secretary of State is one of three members of the Board of Pardons. Evden says he would put Nebraskans' safety first when making decisions on whether to grant clemency to prison inmates. He was a co-founder and leader of Nebraskans for the Death Penalty, the group that secured a referendum on the death penalty after the legislature tried to repeal it. Nebraskans voted in November of 2016 to keep the death penalty on the books. Some Kansas lawmakers are questioning the impact of recent welfare policies after new data showed a growing number of people ineligible for cash assistance. The Legislative Budget Committee was briefed on the new consensus revenue estimates as well as new estimates about the cost of foster care and temporary assistance for needy families. Some Kansas lawmakers say thousands have been coming off the temporary assistance for needy families program while the number of foster care children climbs. Your phone is just one click away from closings and cancellations when you use our app. From the News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. 
Dave Schroeder on the Rural Radio Network, and I'm visiting with Mike Moritz. Mike is the Warning Coordination Meteorologist for the National Weather Service based out of their Hastings office. And today, November 9th, is Nebraska Winter Weather Awareness Day. Here it is, Mike. And uh, so, so tell us, uh, what is it about Winter Weather Awareness Day that you want people, uh, what is it about? You know, we really just want folks to, to bring it to the forefront a little bit that we all know the weather's getting colder and the seasons are changing and things like that, but winter weather is really one that affects everybody. Not everybody gets hit by a tornado. Not everybody gets large hail, but uh, winter weather is pretty indiscriminate, and it can really affect a lot of our lives. Some of our biggest events, they really impact our daily life, even potential for two or three days at a time. So uh, we we want folks to just be aware that don't underestimate what uh, challenges are ahead in the winter, and even in some cases, life-threatening challenges, if you choose to be out in it. And those are things we want people to uh, to be aware of heading into the winter months. When people hear about uh, oncoming winter weather system, uh, they hear various terminology, mm-hmm. and there's been some changes. So uh, run us through the uh, weather terminology terms you might hear most often. Yeah, in general, what people will hear is what we call a watch warning advisory system. Um, the watch is uh, usually a winter storm watch or something like that. In fact, it will be a winter storm watch for winter weather events, all winter weather events. That's usually uh, two, three, four days ahead of time. That's sort of the, hey, something's coming, you know, start paying attention to the weather. If you need to change plans, you might want to consider that, that type of thing. Once the winter weather event becomes imminent, we expect it to happen within maybe a day or two, we'll issue either an advisory or a warning. In both cases, winter weather will impact the area. The difference is, in the case of a warning, we expect that if certain conditions do happen and people are caught outside in a situation, those conditions could lead to life-threatening potential to them. So those are situations we want people to be extremely careful with. The advisory is more of an inconvenient type situation, especially when you talk about traveling. We're going to have to slow down. Maybe visibilities will be poor for a short time, impact our traveling and things like that. You know, and we we actually made one change this year, and I'll mention that now. Uh, one of our past watches was a blizzard watch to highlight the, the worst-case scenario wind and snow event. And what we've done is we have combined the blizzard watch with the winter storm watch so that there's only one winter weather watch, a winter storm watch. That's for ice. That's for blizzard conditions. That's for heavy snow. That's for the combination of all all of those together. And we, what we feel is is that there were times in the past when if we'd issued a blizzard watch but we didn't follow up with a blizzard warning, well, then maybe people thought, oh, it's not quite that bad because it's only a winter storm warning or something like that. So we're really focused on let's just have a watch out there for the winter weather information that might be impacting the area. And then as we get closer to the event, if it is a blizzard situation, we will issue a blizzard warning or a winter storm warning or an advisory, a winter weather advisory. So sometimes it's a little complicated, but just remember, watch warning advisory. What are some of the dangers of winter weather storms? Sometimes people, it can look deceiving. Yeah, you know, there's always the idea that it, there's heavy snow and, and, and those types of things. Often a winter storm is a combination of things, especially when you get into the early part of the winter season, even, even into early January, you're often not talking about one singular thing impacting the area. You're talking about a rain changing to snow or a, a freezing rain, freezing drizzle situation, possibly changing to snow. 
it's usually not until you get to about mid-January when the, the snow really takes over around here and, and that continues through early March. But um, one of the things I was talking with someone uh, earlier today, in fact, was about the wind. And even uh, throughout the year, all seasons, but particularly in the winter, some of our most significant weather events involve extremely high winds. And in the winter, uh, we talk about uh, January 1996, a blizzard that hit central Nebraska with uh, extreme travel impacts on Interstate 80. Uh, we had a blizzard here just after the turn of the century that hit central and western Nebraska. We had 2009, Christmas Day. All those are extreme high wind events. So, you know, when you start seeing a forecast with wind gusts of 40, 50, 60 miles an hour, whether you have snow, rain, sleet, whatever, that's an extreme event. If you're caught out in that, that's potentially a very serious event. So when it comes to winter, you you have to be ready for about anything. And, you know, what can I say? Last winter, Christmas Day, we had a line of thunderstorms with tornadoes in them. So... Uh, you got to be ready for anything in the winter, and that's that's what we hope people are. Preparation is part of this uh, Winter Weather Awareness Day. What are kind of preparations and supplies we should be gathering right now? Well, I think anybody uh, who drives a car probably ought to have some sort of winter survival kit in their car, uh, blankets, some extra non-perishable food, maybe some uh, some sort of small heat source that, that won't be a problem in their car. Uh, you should always be ready when you're traveling to to change your plans. And I think anybody at home, you know, again, it's sort of a similar type deal. Maybe have some extra food around. You know, we learned with the ice storm a few years ago that uh, we can get caught in some pretty dicey situations. And so, you know, if you're in the country, you might want to have generator power, those types of things. So it's, it's just about common sense kind of things. Mike Moritz, he's a warning coordination meteorologist for the Hastings National Weather Service office, and I'm Dave Schroeder on the Rural Radio Network. Let's get a review of those livestock features trade and what happened today. Joe Teal joins us from Great Plains Commodities. Joe? Yeah, kind of a, kind of a rush again at the, uh, at the close. Had a pretty good rally out of the uh, uh, cattle and the... Uh, feeders right at the end of the uh, close, uh, some short covering uh, feeder cattle. I think a lot might be associated with the uh, grain uh, report, which uh, uh, put uh, production a little bit higher than uh, the trade was looking for in corn, and uh, that put uh, that put uh, some pretty good short covering uh, uh, into the uh, feeders in particular, but uh, even the live cattle. With the exception of the uh, nearby Dees and Feb, they still managed to close lower. The rest now all higher. So pretty good day. Uh, cutouts uh, mixed today uh, for the cattle. Uh, uh, pretty light test against the boxes. Looks as if uh, packers kind of quieted down after a fairly uh, aggressive day yesterday, but uh, that trade was at a little bit lower money. Um, we did start out lower, but came back. Over in the hogs, uh, mixed for the uh, finish, the December contract lower, the rest uh, a little bit higher. They all came back uh, also uh, near the close. So, uh, interesting day. Cutouts a little bit higher uh, at noon for the hogs. So, and cash, uh, oh, a little bit weaker. 
Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Call 800-328-0134. Total cattle slaughter, first four days this week, estimated at 464,000, 3,000 less than last week. Hog slaughter at 1,846,000, 15,000 more than last week. I'm Dewey Nelson. I'm Shaylee Peters on the Rural Radio Network. We're down here at Trade Talk, and I'm going to be visiting here with David Widmar of Purdue, talking about the Ag Economy Barometer. Very fresh results with this, David. And we'll do a short-term here outlook with some of the most recent results. What do you have here, David? Yes, our latest results from our monthly survey of 400 producers from across the country is that producer sentiment is at 135 points. This is up from 132 in the last two months. Kind of a couple ways to look at this. One is that we spent most of 2017 in this 130-point trading window. Uh, We've been bouncing between 130 and 139 points pretty consistently throughout the growing season. A different way of looking at these results is that 135 is actually the third highest uh, level of sentiment we've measured since the project got started back in October 2015. Previously, we were higher in July of 17 at 139 points, and we also were above 150 points back in January uh, on the heels of the the election results last year. You mentioned that long term, when we take what we see here and really apply it to the rest of the year or even further out, what does that look like? Yeah, I think uh, right now we're sort of transitioning. Producers in the next few months are going to start to know what did 2017 look like for our farm and our farm operation, and then we start to budget in the planning process for 2018 which again will start to set the tone for sentiment. Uh, We're sort of leaving the growing season and going into the planning season for producers. As we make that transition, any additional comments with the Ag Economy Barometer and some of the things you guys do with that? Well, it comes out monthly, so we encourage all the listeners uh, to to go to the website, purdue.edu slash agbarometer, and we ask questions about key farm economy drivers. So we know that this year, fewer producers are planning on uh, reducing fertilizer rates and it's 18 than did in 17. So 48% last year said they're going to pull back fertilizer rates and about a third of producers today say they're going to do that next year. So management strategies are shifting just a little bit going into 2018. One final question here, David. Why is this important? How is this useful to producers and not just producers, but really anybody involved in the uh, ag business? That's a great question. And we have a lot of different stakeholders who are taking a look at this. The first one is our producers. And producers tell us they really appreciate that benchmarking. And so sometimes it's easy to get caught up in a farm-specific situation or the situation in a specific county or a region of the country. Uh, It's great to step out and look at what other producers are saying from across the Corn Belt or the Great Plains or even the entire country. So being able to benchmark sentiment is important. Also for producers, being able to sort of benchmark uh, expectations, maybe of farmland values or cash rental rates, also maybe some management practices. As I mentioned earlier, a third of producers told us they're thinking about holding back on fertilizer rates next year. For producers who's thinking about maybe doing that themselves, this is an important data point that they can sort of add into their decision uh, matrix or their decision process. Other stakeholders, of course, ag input suppliers, ag uh, manufacturers are watching this as well. It's helpful for them to understand the challenges and struggles that maybe producers are facing and how they might be able to be of assistance or maybe they can help producers through this tough farm economy. Uh, We've seen sentiment improve, but it's still a tough farm economy out there for uh, everyone involved. And finally, we see policymakers and and, uh, are a key stakeholder for this project, those people who kind of set the tone for ag policy. And we have a farm bill uh, coming up, a new farm bill being written, and this will be an important data point that's being considered as to how uh, the new farm bill, the new 
tools and opportunities in that bill can meet the needs that producers have today. Hey, thanks so much. It's David Widmar with Purdue talking about the Ag Economy Barometer for the Rural Radio Network from Kansas City Trade Talk 2017. I'm Shaylee Peters. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. We had a so-called bearish USDA report today. It was definitely bearish for corn and for soybeans. Mixed wheat trade today. Let's talk with... John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. I guess most surprising was the amount USDA raised in the yield estimate for corn, don't you think? Uh, yeah, yeah, but so you, you know, I'm sure you've covered supply. If guys have listened to you for a while here, the supply obviously went up. Um, you know, kind of consistent with what we've been hearing out of the fields. But I want to focus on the demand side. We got a yield hike or an export hike and a feed and residual hike, and so that brings demand up to 14.5 billion, darn near 14.5 billion bushels in, that we need to require now. So, you know, I, I think that's important to remember here. Uh, markets are. You know, traded on a number of reasons, and I, I just want to tell folks: be very patient here if you're going to jump short on some of these deferred contracts. I think I think December, you know, the potential for us to fall to say four thirty. Three thirty-five, three thirty. When we go into delivery, is definitely there. Um, you know, there's enough overage out there for guys that are just going to move it to move it. But I think in the shorter run, or in the longer run rather, you know, the, the demand being where it is, and I think global stocks could fall given that we're going to look at smaller production down in South America. I think you can't get too myopic with with what the U.S. carryout is. I certainly understand that it's big, and, and I, you know, I would factor that. We probably won't see $4 December corn of next year until we get it into the field or we have a problem, one or the other. I mean, it's, it's going to take a, a situation for the market to, to churn. But I think given, uh, you know, that uh, we're trading already in a, kind of a bear market and that, you know, the, the December 18 kind of held that uh, 385 level that I think is pretty important here, we could we could see the, the market trade more sideways. So, like I've been saying, look to re-own corn relative to where you sell it. In March right now, I think, is going to now turn into that December sideways chop, 345 March, up to maybe 360. And that's what you got to start looking at and using that carry. And using that carry means selling bushels off deferred contracts before you have to deliver. And a quick comment, don't you think the market was overdone to the downside in corn and soybeans so we could see a rally tomorrow? I think beans, you know, this is we're right back to essentially where we were when we delivered. I think the trade got very high on its horse, so to speak, on, on the bean side, but nothing's changed. I, I think money flow seems to be coming into the commodities, and given that corn and, and a lot of these markets are bearish already, I, I just don't think chasing the story down is, is, is the play. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Remember the website, danielsagmarketing.com. Dewey Nelson reporting on the Rural Radio Network. <laughs> 